this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode is sponsored by PodX. PodX is a first-year podcast convention brought to life by the makers of LeakyCon and BroadwayCon. The weekend-long event will have over 30 hours of live shows alongside game shows, workshops, Q&As, and meetups. There are programs on each day to delight any level of podcast fan. And the Podcaster Pro Pass allows you access to the exceptional workshops and how-to panels for up-and-coming podcasters taught by PodX's very own special guest. Podcast aims to bring the greater podcast community, listeners, and creators, an in-person experience that is as dynamic and inclusive as the podcasting world overall. Check out information in our show notes or go to podx, that's P-O-D-X dot com slash riot to pick up your tickets today. Podx dot com slash riot. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 312. We're recording on Thursday, May 16th, 2019. I'm Jeff. I'm here with Rebecca. And as we said, this is a Book Riot Podcast. So we're we're coming to you from bookriot.com. I don't know. We, we always... we. You got a little something going you know, on in I this say, intro I was listening today. to record the pre-roll, and I said, you know what? Maybe I can throw a little, put a little English on this shot today. A little something different. A little, little like mustard it. on the fastball. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, put yeah. a little mustard on it, Jeff. Here we go. Here we uh, mustard on the fastball feels like a mixed metaphor. It, it, <laughs> unless there was like some early <laughs> days of like baseball where actually putting mustard on the baseball was like a, a cheating thing, like you know, using spit or, or uh, Vaseline or something like that. So... I feel like you would know that because you'd have read some obscure baseball. I just read. History. I just read a book that, that called resulted... "The History of Baseball in Ten Pitches," and there were uh, there's a whole chapter on the spitball, and no no mention of mustard of condiments of any no kind. No mentions really. of mustard. No salsa. <laughs> salsa. <laughs> People salsa. like to say salsa. Um, yeah, I get made fun of by some a friend of ours because I I lazy Kansas the s uh, salsa salsa where you're supposed to really hit that with a sharper salsa. s salsa salsa salsa. I've never salsa. heard salsa. That's how I say salsa. But you're Midwestern, so you don't hear it. Huh. You, it sounds the same to you, I think, probably. Salsa and salsa. Like I spent a half hour trying to get them to teach me to say it right, and I still can only barely hear it. <laughs> it's like being sort of colorblind. It's like, like sort of accents. being color. Like, wait, is thing. that red or green? Or yeah, I don't know, but somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Anyway, so we got listener feedback. Well, here we are. Should we do the spot first? or Maybe a couple. Let's do this first sponsor. Let's do the sponsor. So our sponsor, well, first sponsor, second sponsor, first in-show sponsor, Only Ever Her by Mary Beth Mayhew Whalen. Mary Beth Mayhew Whalen is the author of When We Were Worthy, The Things We Wish Were True in Five Previous Novels. This novel explores the questions, how well do we know our loved ones and how well do we know ourselves? When a young bride goes missing, her loved ones are forced to question how well they knew her, and also, like I just said, how well they really know themselves. From Waylon, the author of When We Were Worthy, comes a riveting new novel about big family secrets laid bare in a small southern town. I love this genre. It's where it's like everything seems fine, there's a little crack, there's a little bit of a crack in the door, and a whole bunch of stuff comes rushing through. So check out Only Ever Her 
by Mary Beth Mayhew Whalen. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show. All right. Uh, listener feedback time. We're going way back, like a month or so, before all the recommendations mm. and people, you know, Hallmark uh, holidays and things like that. Uh, we talked about brand reward programs. When it came to Random House's uh, loyalty program that they, they've launched, got some re- listener feedback about, you know, brands that have loyalty programs that aren't necessarily the retailer themselves. And Clinique was one I heard from a few people, um, which I thought was interesting. Oh, okay. um, we mentioned mm-hmm. Starbucks before and Kellogg's before. I noticed one mm-hmm. um, in one of our critiques or concerns, questions about the Random House program was, do people really know what book is from Random House and you have to snap a picture of your receipt from Random House? Book to, so then you have to know it's Viking or Putnam and Dornan, something like that. You know, you're, you're sorting through all your little, your little chits, like which of these is eligible, which is not. Michelle and I were watching TV right. the other day and an ad came up for Domino's loyalty program. Have you seen this ad? Oh, oh, probably so not. So they have a they have an ad, they have a loyalty program where you take a picture of any pizza. Yes, okay, yes, I have okay. seen this. And you get credit somehow. And I haven't enrolled for it, but it got me thinking that's really clever. I'm guessing you can do one a day or one a week or something and you get points towards your loyalty program for any pizza cuz all Domino's wants you to do there is buy stuff from Domino's and think about Domino's. They don't they don't mind giving you 10 right. bucks off your order if you're taking random pictures of, you know, your your take and bake from Papa Murphy's or whatever. They just want you to think when it's pizza time, think about Domino's and take a picture and they'll give you a coupon. And I was thinking that is super smart when you're talking about building brand loyalty and brand awareness. Mm-hmm. I think Random House should steal that idea. Any book, once a week, any a book or any, any receipt book. for a book mm-hmm. or whatever, take a picture of what you're reading. I don't care. Because if they don't, if it's really not about selling more books and a profit margin on books, then you want people to show you what they're reading, engage with the brand, get recommendations in their profile, you know, get push notifications, whatever it is you got to do. Just get people interacting with the app and being able to say, I get five points for every book that I say I bought from anywhere, from any publisher once a week and I take a picture of it. Mm I think that would do a lot of what Random House would like to do. And I think it's fun. I think that's way more fun than this yes, sort of thing. Yes. I also think that they should call it something that has nothing to do with being Penguin yeah. Random House. It should just be called like the I Love yeah, Book Snap. Book Snap or and whatever. There it book, is. There it yeah. is, Book Snap. And when you send in your Book Snap picture, you get coupons for books. And they don't even have to tell you these coupons are only coming on Random yeah, House titles. Right. They don't you know? have to do it. I, I think that would... That solves a lot of the things I don't love about the current mm-hmm. setup because there's so much sort of um, cognitive overhead to figure out what's going yeah. on with which books and where you put it in. Just make it simple. Don't worry too much about the rewards. Any rewards for snapping a picture of one book a week, people will take. And it would be fun. I might do that. Totally. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's low. Like the thing you're trying to get when you're selling users on coming into yeah. any new experience is a low barrier right. to entry. And there's kind of nothing lower in the, like in this era where we carry smartphones and take pictures <laughs> of a jillion things a day than take a picture. Like I would also do this now. I will take a picture of anything for rewards <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. Like, can I send, can I send PetSmart or Chewy.com a picture of my dog yes. once a day or once a week to get discounts on his favorite bones because I will be all over that life. Yeah. Anyway, I just, that, that's the one I had seen that was using, you know, what you want people to do is interact with your whatever on a regular basis. Think about you when they think about this thing that they do that mm-hmm. you're a part of. And 
you know, get your foot in the door by making something fun and easy and they can cross post it to Instagram and hashtag BookSnap or whatever else they're going to do. Um, make it super easy and fun to engage with your brand. And that, that, that got me thinking. Now we're talking about dominoes. Like it's working, right? Like when's the last time you thought about it dominoes? Is. You know, this is giving some credence to there's a great episode of mm. Ugly Delicious, which is David Chang's show on Netflix, where they talk like there's a pizza episode and in it, he like famously, you know, is a yeah. highbrow chef, but loves <laughs> Domino's pizza. And in it, he talks about he's talking like to one of the head guys at Domino's and he says something like, you know, I think of Domino's as not a pizza company, but mm. a tech company. And this is from a couple years ago when Domino's first rolled out their app. But I think that this idea, like this is a very smart idea. And this is the kind of idea you get at a tech company. Um, publishing mm. could do well to think more like a tech company about like trying to get users to adopt an app or to adopt a behavior rather than thinking like a publisher who's trying to sell you certain books or get you to, you know, send in your receipts on their books that you bought that you magically know yeah. are from them. Well, and that's a, that's a great point made. There's, we see some inherent tension there because we've talked about this before that publishing seems ambivalent about technology writ large. I mean, you only have to look for ebook pricing. Don't mm -hmm. get me started. Or, you know, their reticence <laughs> and subscriptions for various kinds of things. Like, I'm still not sure what to think about Scribd's stated levels of success and how publishing thinks about that. There are not any competitors for that, really, or Kindle Unlimited. Like, that, Netflix for books isn't a thing. I mean, Scribd is trying to be that, but, like, let me tell you, there's a million Scribd subscribers. There are 180 million Netflix subscribers. It's just not even right. uh, on the same. It's, it's like two orders of magnitude away. But for for publishing to think about something like this Domino's app, where it's really tech forward, they'd have to almost be a different company because they're they they've been conservative and protective of their existing businesses, and so far it hasn't been a disaster. But also, there's a strategy tax to thinking about your business that way. Like you know, we're going to shy away mm -hmm. from some of these things. That means you can't really put on you can't put on the we love tech hat when sort of you're saying we actually don't love tech. Like you, can, I don't think you, that's there's too much cognitive dissonance to think about it that way. Yep. Yeah, I think that that's one of the probably primary factors in why these things no. haven't worked with publishing is it's like we want tech to work for us, but we don't want to work with tech. Right. <laughs> or, Can I have all the good and none of the work. downsides? Or like, you know, I'm not even sure how, how it works necessarily. And some of it is success can hide problems, right? That they've been able to stay the course mm -hmm. doesn't lead well to thinking in, through innovation where Domino's has had a rough time. Like pizza's gone down, right. it, pizza seems to have gone two ways, like super down scale or very like high scale. Like you go out to have fancy like artisanal pizzas that, you know, where the bricks were brought over by hand um, mm -hmm. from Italy over the course of 10 centuries. And our pizza person actually spent 25 years um, in a room just um, cog cognating on the idea, the platonic form of pizza, you know, this kind of thing. <laughs> cognating, Yeah, and, wow. and our tomatoes actually were hand sculpted um, in the back, um, uh, by people who have devoted their lives to pizza, uh, to tomato tending, but, or, or it's, um, frozen pizza and Domino's like, where are we in the middle? Cause like when you and I were kids, we may have talked about this before, like going out to pizza, Hut was fancy. Like pizza Hut was, ex was relatively mm -hmm. expensive. You'd go out and, and now pizza, Hut's like five ninety nine for two mediums. It's like, I don't know how you compete about that. And Domino's is thinking it's a, a tech solution, but they say that necessity is a mother invention. Necessity is also a mother. And Domino's is really leaned into, we got to do something because we're dying. So there's that part of too about publishing right now. It's like, maybe they're just not hurting enough. Maybe they just haven't been experiencing enough pain um, to have to think about things differently, which I'm surprised we're saying in 2019. 
Um, but there we yeah. are. So I had more to say about dominoes than I was really expecting. That's supposed to be more of a throwaway. <laughs> we went on yeah, a real we did. journey there. Speaking of real bugs. journeys, I have more real journeys about our next story, so we better save it a little bit if there's any of these other stories. Because I'm, I'm warmed up now. We can't do, we can't do, <laughs> we can't talk about podcast stuff right now. So where, where do you want to go for, for right. traditional book stories? You know, we got some just like solid, basic, yep. newsy news this week. So let's just mm-hmm. start at the top. The big surprise drop-in book of the summer so far looks like it's going to be Michael Wolff's follow-up to Fire and Fury. Mm. It was announced this week that he has a new book coming out June 4th from Henry Holt, which is a Simon & Schuster imprint, called Seed, Trump Under Fire. Uh, This piece from uh, CNN that we're looking at notes that books are normally promoted months ahead of time, but the publisher kept this project hush-hush and chose to announce it just three weeks before release for maximum impact. Um, this piece is all I've heard about this book. Like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem, at least in my corner of the internet, to be causing the kind of ruckus. Wow, I'm old today, ruckus. That, <laughs> that, um, that fire and fury caused. Maybe we've also had so many Trump books, it seems like, since then. And we've had another year to get even more exhausted of hearing about Trump. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure that this is going to have maximum impact regardless. Mm. But the news is there's a new Michael Wolf book coming out on June 4th. They note here Fire and Fury sold more than 4 million copies around the world um, in 2018, which did make it one of the top sellers of the year. I'm I am really curious if people like bookstores were running out of this, but I think it was also because of short notice last yeah. year, like indie stores didn't have sufficient time to order up on it. Um, and I wonder if you know, maybe my expectations are out of scale because that response, that whole thing happened the way that it happened last year. Um, but I wonder, I'm just curious, um, slash skeptical. The usual Shinsky response <laughs> train is pulling out of the Curious, station. skeptical and curious. There we go. Um, I need to give shouts to um, a listener, Kim, uh, who emailed us a week ago that we didn't talk about last week because we we're doing a recommendation show. She said she thought this book was coming because she was digging around in some of she's um I don't want to say too much but she works in collections for a library and got this weird listing for a forthcoming Henry Holt book and the oh. author was Louise Lobo and Lobo of course is Spanish for wolf um mm-hmm. and the the pub date of June 4th it was Holt and then the number of copies that the vendors had were way out of scale from some some random like Ingram had 30,000 copies and Baker and Taylor had multiple thousand copies and she put the pieces together and said, I think this is coming. So it's, I don't know if it's a scoop or not, if you want to talk about it. And I wish I, I wish we could have given you credit pre-hoc. <sighs> Good job, Kim. Kim. We're giving you post-hoc credit on sussing this one out. So there you go. Kim should be very proud of her detective she should, skills she there. She should be um, very much. She told That's us. That's impressive. But we didn't, we didn't quite get to, to take credit for her sleuthing in that regard, too. I, this is an interesting test case in our appetite. Our, I have zero appetite for Trump books, I have to say. Um, the The... the Book buying world's writ large appetite for Trump books. Wolf has already done a book, right? So it's the mm-hmm. second it's a second trip to the horse trough for this particular one. I don't know how many oats are left in there. And then, you know, I also feel like the Mueller report coming out, we didn't talk about publishing in the Mueller report because it was in the middle of the grad stuff. Like a bunch of publishers made it available for free uh, digitally or audio or, you know, very mm-hmm. low cost in print. And it sold a whole bunch of copies and it was number one bestseller across a variety of retailers. And it felt like and I haven't been following, I'm off Twitter and I haven't been following politics as closely as I once did mostly. So I, I don't go um, really off the rocker here and trying to keep some kind of an even keel. But it felt like that was the end of a certain epoch 
in the Trump yeah. administration, in the books, in the thing. And now we're in the, the Mueller report's not taking Trump down. It doesn't look like we shouldn't have thought it was or whatever. But all, all these other books up to it were kind of four shocks to use some seismology term, four shocks to the, the mm. big one. And mm-hmm. the Mueller was the big one. And now the big one's come and gone and we just start in the same place. Are, are people getting spooled yeah. up to do this again? I feel like not, but mm. I could be wrong. I feel like not also. And I think it's because of that thing that you're talking about where we, you know, I don't think anybody thought fire and fury, fire and fury was going to bring Trump down because there's a certain sort of gossipy quality to it. Um, It's very sensational, but there was real interest in maybe Bob Woodward's book fear would do it. Um, And maybe the Mueller report would do it. And uh, now that those things haven't happened, it feels very much like, okay, there's not a book mm-hmm. that's going to do this. Like if reality were sufficient right. <laughs> to, to end this presidency, it would have happened already. Um, and I hope that that's not true. I hope there's a level of reality that becomes important and effective again, but like it, it hasn't been. And it's so exhausting that the gossipiness isn't fun and interesting yeah. anymore. Like it hasn't been for a mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm. There's no entertainment. Like, I don't think there's any entertainment factor in gossipy, like behind the scenes stuff about this presidency. Um, so I'm really curious about like, does any, what the, as you were saying, what the appetite for it is like, does anybody want to read more of this? Yeah. Like we just, is there anything in here that we don't already know? I mean, maybe that maybe the um, anecdata mill, that happens in the wake or sometimes right before these books comes out. Well, there'll be a couple of juicy stories that are either titillating or eye-opening or sort of voyeuristically compelling that people will go check it out and it sells in numbers. I just feel like it's not even fatigue at this point. It's like, it's kind of over. This, this stage is kind of over. It's almost like, I don't know. It's almost like the Mueller report was the series finale for this, <laughs> for this part of this story. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, I don't know, like the, just too too little, too late. Um, so let us know if you're still interested. If you bought any other books um, related to Trump so far, are you still interested in this? And maybe you need to hear more. Are you open to the idea of it? I'd really like to know. Podcast at bookwrite.com. While we're, on the, while we're on the fatigue situation, again, we're the wrong people to talk about it, but I cannot remember the cultural dominance of anything like Game of Thrones has been the last few weeks. Just, oh, I mean, yeah. you and I are not, I, I don't think you're watching Mm-mm. the show, right? No, no, I'm not. Uh, so we're we're coming at it from people who are just exist in the world. And I don't know if you're like me, but like, I'm a little sad I missed the boat. Like I'm not on the boat uh, that's on these stormy seas and being a part of it. But there's also a part from the outside, especially since it is a book related story that you could like, I'm more interested in the phenomenon than the thing, like the thing about the thing mm-hmm. is more interesting. And I don't know what it is about Game of Thrones. Like, I'm sure there are things people could tell me, podcast at bookwrite.com. Like, what is it? Is it, does it have just sort of internal momentum? Like, it's people care about it because people care about it and it has an internal feedback loop. I'm not sure about that. But I cannot believe the amount of content being loosed upon the internet about, (laughs) we got pre, we got precaps and recaps and it is wild stuff out there right now. I've been thinking about that too, and I and wondering if like if Lost were ending in 2019 instead of ending when it did in, in like earlier years of the internet, if that's about what it would be like. That's the closest example that I can yeah. think of of a show that people that had a lot going on. You were guessing about a lot of things that had this whole mythology, and there was a real question of like how will it end and will they stick the landing? Yeah. And people were super invested in that. I think that that kind of thing might be the best analogy and for what game of thrones is but it's it's bonkers i felt like i sort of like that 
my observation of Game of Thrones fandom, as far as the TV show goes, was that I saw like a ton of people really into it in the first couple mm. of years, and then it seemed like it dipped. Yep. Like like there was some fatigue about the rapiness and those kinds of things, but then it it does seem like the roar has gotten louder again here at the end. And I don't know if it's that the remaining people are super into it. Maybe other people were kind of following the TV show version of O'Neill's razor. Yeah. Of like, well, if this is the last right. season, I'm going to catch up. I do know a few people anecdotally, anecdotally who, um, who did that, who like, you know, marathon watched all the existing seasons so that they could then mm. watch this new season live. Maybe that's what's going on. I've also heard it's pretty messy. Like a couple good friends have been like, this season is a mess. Mm. I don't know how it's going, but there's something, um, there's something, if you can detach a little bit from caring about the story, there's something fun about watching a mess. Yeah. Too. No, that, that's, and it's almost doesn't matter. Like it's almost like review proof at this point. It has such cultural mm-hmm. buy-in writ large. I mean, Lost is an interesting one. That one also, speaking of one that was a mess, like that one really oh, lost a yeah, lot of steam. I was into that and I think I watched landing. every episode mm-hmm. in something like real time because that's all you could do back right. then when we were driving mm-hmm. our horses and buggies around and watching, you know, <laughs> walking watching advertisements on cable television. Um, <laughs> but I, I, it's hard to think of an analog because like we said before, the other thing Game of Thrones has going for it is it's a franchise that existed before the TV show came out. And yet it also gets the benefit of like, each episode having new car smell because we don't know from the books like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or something. Those were big cultural things, but you weren't going to be surprised by uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part one because you knew it was going to happen. Like there might be some choices about how they showed on screen, but this has the, here's a thing we love and you're seeing it with for the first time and getting these data points Mm -hmm. for the first time that you care about in a way that is the equivalent of Star Wars or Harry Potter or anything else like that. And I, I just can't think of anything remotely like it. And I wonder if that's part of it too. It's like you are having unfurled before you in real time something that already feels like one of the great fantasy, speculative fiction, sort of cultural franchises yeah, of all time. That's that is a great point. I think if the books were already yeah. over and the TV show were just replicating on screen the ending that we had in the books, there is much less fervor yeah. around this. If you know how a thing ends the tv show is getting a lot of momentum i think from the fact that we don't know how that you know the fans don't know how it's going to end um and it got me thinking too about think of the think of the collective freak out we often i often talk about like harry potter 8 as being sort of mm. the i don't know it, it's like it's like the it's like the, the big one that got the dinosaurs like if that ever came out <laughs> like that would be you know just to see what it would be like today but imagine if mm-hmm. harry potter 8 rowling, rowling said you know, I finished Harry Potter 8. The book is done, but here's what's going to happen. It's going to come out after a 10-part HBO miniseries. <laughs> uh-huh. Think of the I mean, it would put this Game of Thrones stuff to bed. Like it would this would this would feel oh, this would feel like the McRib would. coming back to McDonald's. Like it would be nothing. This would Well, this kind of segues to well, maybe it segues yeah. to the podcast story that we don't want to talk right. about yet, but that's the kind of thing that would get people to subscribe to mm-hmm. HBO. You know, you would pay money to get HBO for nothing other than getting access to those 10 episodes. Is there a check HBO wouldn't write for that? I mean, seriously. Oh. Or, I mean, think of the bidding war. If like Rolling came out and said, it would be I mean, I'm I'm coming to Apple, I'm coming to Amazon, I'm coming to all the, you know, I'm coming to Netflix. Here's the deal. It's a 10 episode. You're not going to get any more. You know, I'm not continuing. This is a 10 episode run, but it also is based on a book, but the book will come second. 
mm-hmm. or at the same time, or it'll come con- concurrent with the final episode, or if it's a Netflix style where all 10 episodes come out at the same time, day and date the book, day and date the book and all 10 episodes come out. I'm freaking <laughs> out just now thinking about it. Like my laptop's going to melt down because I'm, I'm giving off like body heat. <laughs> just imaginary anticipation. I mean, you couldn't, it would be, it would be wild. It would be wild to, to talk would. about. And that's the kind of thing. Do we want to do this now? Let's do another sponsor and then we'll come back. Let's do our okay. podcast thing. I'm, I'm, I'm now really overcooked. This is, this is bad. Take- a deep breath. Yeah, I, I got to calm down. It's like I've had you know, right. uh, uh, cinnamon Everclear and uh, I've got a fever. <laughs> Who? All right. Our next sponsor this week is We Hunt the Flame by Hafsa Faiza. This is set in a richly detailed world inspired by ancient Arabia. We Hunt the Flame, first in the sands of Arawiya duology, is a gripping story of discovery, conquering fear, and taking identity into your own hands. We Hunt the Flame should be on every fantasy fan's bookshelf, says Kirsten White, the best-selling author of And I Darken. BuzzFeed says it's filled with rich world building with stakes that will keep you at the edge of your seat. This is a stunning debut. Hafsa's prose is lyrical, striking, and very thoughtful. The book, as I said, is the first book in a duology called The Sands of Arawiya. This is perfect for fans of Lee Bardugo, Saba Tahir, and Renee Adia. It's a gripping story. Again, it's called We Hunt the Flame by Hafsa Faiza. And it's out now wherever books are sold. So you can click the link in the show notes or you know what to do. Find your way to your favorite bookseller. Um, Have you calmed down? Yeah. Um, calmed down, calmed out, leveled out. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm here. So this is a story I think we, we bandied about in our Slack as being interesting. We talked about Scribs exclusives, their, foray, their first foray into exclusives. And one of the exclusives was going to be mm-hmm. the novella-like object or you know this between a magazine article and a book form yes. that they were saying they were going to um, produce and make available. And one of the authors on there, and the one we thought maybe was the most interesting, maybe the most capable of moving the needle was Roxanne Gay. So we talked about sort of what it takes to get people over the threshold to pay for a thing they aren't currently pay for when it comes to specific content, right? Like there's the idea of the service, you know, Scribd is you're not really coming for a specific book. You're coming because for access to, to the the library, so to speak. But what would it take to get you, like, wh- who would it take, I guess, and, and to put mm-hmm. more of a fine point on it, to get you to pay for a service on a monthly basis you're not currently paying for? And I don't know if, if you and I talked about it then or we talked about it offline, about really having a hard time coming up with who is the personality that either a one-off or a regular thing, a podcast or short stories or magazine writing or whatever, that I would get me to pay $9 a month for a thing, because that's what things cost now. Everything's $9 a month. And the so we were talking about that, and basically we couldn't come up with anybody. Well, mm-hmm. Roxanne Gay, who's as media savvy uh, and smart about her brand and where she where she spends her time and how to communicate with people, has signed up to do an exclusive podcast with Luminary. And if you haven't heard of Luminary, free advertising for Luminary, I guess. Here we go. Um, <laughs> it is a they want to be the Netflix for podcasts, essentially. And mm-hmm. you can get a lot of the podcasts you can get for free other places. I don't even know if the book ride stuff is on there or not because you, you know, it's RSS, so they could, they could scrape it and put it on there and people listen to it. I guess that's fine. But the, I think the, the chess move they're trying to make is get some exclusive podcasts that you can only listen to if you're a Luminary member for $9 a month. And the one that's most bookish related that relates to books is Roxanne Gay and Dr. Tressie McCollin Cottom's podcast called Here to Slay, 
which the, the short tagline is great. It's the Black Feminist Podcast of Your Dreams. That's a great, ta- that's a great tagline. It's a great um, pun here to slay. It's H-E-A-R because of listening in ears. Um, and it got us thinking about this question again, but also it's a meta point where we, ha- we ourselves are on a very podcast, and you yourself right now are listening <laughs> to one. And there's a sort of a fundamental question, or I don't know if it's a question, but like Luminary is betting. Mm-hmm. That if they could get enough podcasts behind a paywall, that they could become the Netflix of podcasts, where, you know, you basically, if you like podcasts, you've got to subscribe to Luminary. And that's interesting in a whole bunch of different ways, and it's uninteresting in some ways, and it's dangerous in some ways, and I think potentially very bad in some ways. But I just thought it was interesting. So let's go back to our thing. So Scribd, a one-off novella magazine thing from someone that's not named Toni Morrison, rough for us, right? Rough, we decided. Mm -hmm. Now, podcasts are different because it's every week. It's an ongoing thing, um, which is good or bad. But for if you're like a podcast listener like me, you like to listen to the shows you like on a regular basis. Is there anyone that has books in their bio, you know, something related to books and reading (laughs) in their bio that would move you over the line from zero to nine? The only answer is is the long fantasized about Barack Obama, Marilyn Robinson book club podcast. That's it. That's really it. Like I, and I've been thinking about this a lot because I love Roxanne Gay. Mm -hmm. I really liked Tressie McMillan Cottom's book. I think they're super interesting together. Like there's a lot of compelling stuff about this pitch but I am apt and membershiped mm-hmm. out. <laughs> if they had a Patreon or something where like I could pay a monthly three bucks, you know, two bucks, three bucks mm-hmm. a month just to listen to the two of them, but do it, do the listening through the podcatcher of my choice, I would have given them dollars yesterday. Mm-hmm. But the having to like join a new ecosystem, the threshold for that is so high now. Yeah. And from the conversations we've been having among our staff and also the contributors, it seems like we're not alone Mm. there. Um, That like, you know, I can't think of what I would, what, I don't know. I can't think of like, if I didn't already have Netflix, what would Netflix have to get that would, that would, or like produce exclusively Mm. for me to pay 10 bucks a month just to have access to Netflix to watch it. There's just really not, there's not much. It's a, it's a, this is like a bold bet to make, but I'm not sure it's the smartest bet to make as luminary. Like people love the authors that they follow, Mm -hmm. but like there are still so many good authors to follow. Like there's still so much TV to watch. If you don't have Netflix, but you have Hulu, like you, you've still got a lot to watch. You can stay plenty busy. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel that way about podcasts. Like I'm never going to listen to all the podcasts I want to that are just available on Apple. So like, why am I going to pay extra money to another app that just has more stuff that I can't possibly get to? Um, yeah, I, it, it would really have to be like Barack and Marilyn yeah. talk about life, the universe and everything. It is wild to think about what you're competing with. Like the job, you know, some, I guess Horace did is someone that's a tech writer and he think he, he often frames his inquiries into tech things like what is the job being hired to do by a product or technology, right? Mm-hmm. The job being hired by Luminary is to put a paywall on something you're used to getting for free. Not just these specific yeah. shows, but podcasts themselves. And like, I, I'm not, I like podcasts as you, as probably people here know, I think they're wonderful. I think they are maybe the most interesting thing on the internet writ large. I mean, just in terms of the, the medium, because 
they work the way we thought the internet would work in the glory days of wondering about the internet, right? They're RSS based. There's no central hub. Mm -hmm. You can make them relatively inexpensively. I mean, very inexpensively, frankly, as technology is pretty democratic in that way. Um, Mm -hmm. You can be niche. You can have an audience. Um, It's just, it's remarkable. And to come in and try to put a paywall on that, when you don't need to, just feels like a very hard pitch. And the only way they can do it is like, we've got to have content so good that you've got to pay. And I just don't know what that, I just don't know what that content is. Yeah, I don't either. And I think podcast listeners are used to hearing ads in the same way that television viewers are used to watching TV and getting commercials mm-hmm. in the middle of your TV shows. Uh, maybe you fast forward through them now because technology is magic, but like that's just part of the experience. And you could sell like, man, I think you could sell amazing ads against yeah. this podcast, a, a, a rock, the Roxanne gay vehicle, mm-hmm. whatever she wants to talk about. Um, you would have sponsors lining up to get on that show. And with no paywall to stand between her and listeners, I think that show could get huge very quickly. And I would think so too. I, I'm guessing Luminary wrote them a check out of scale. Like that's how they do this, right? Because the Trevor, mm-hmm. the other one that's more, I mean, Trevor Noah has multiple books now and he has his own. I think probably the headlining one is Trevor Noah is on Second Thought. I can't remember the name of the podcast. Mm-hmm. But how many of those, I mean, how many of those would you have to get to to move the needle? It's I don't you know. know. Maybe to reframe this, like one of the things that we think about a lot when we're trying to decide whether to make Mm. a thing or not a book riot or when we're thinking about what to make next is like does this solve a reader problem and what problem does it solve and like podcasts behind paywalls the big pitch for them is you don't have to listen to ads right right? like that's the the core thing but it seems to me like this that doesn't actually solve that's not a problem for most people most people are not listening to podcasts like yearning for a way Mm. to hear them without the ads the ads are just sort of a built-in part of it and you could do like there are podcasts that do an ad-free version where you pay like directly to that show and then you get access to an ad-free version without having to join a new service Service or pay for a bunch of other content that you're not going to mm-hmm. access. And I think that would have been the way to go here. Like, I think it's very, it's great that Luminary got the names that they got. And Roxanne Gay likes to try things. And she I think does. That's awesome. yeah. It's always fun to see. Like, she has that Margaret Atwood going... gene about this. They're both so good about yeah. trying stuff. Yeah. And like willing to lend her name to interesting experiments. Mm-hmm. I think she's very thoughtful about it and strategic. Like Margaret Atwood, to me, there's a a feeling of like, I think sometimes she's just like throwing yeah, spaghetti yeah, at the yeah, wall, yeah, yeah. you know, or she'll try whatever. It seems to me that Roxane Gay is a little bit more strategic mm-hmm. about the things that she tries in that Luminary probably wrote them a really nice check yeah. to do this instead of to host a show together on Apple and sell ads against their bajillions of listeners that they would get. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't seem why to me from the business perspective like from from luminary's perspective of um like why make this like yeah, who I, are, from, who it, is the customer you're serving it might also serve thinking of it from the creator's point of view which we do it does solve some creator problem is selling ads being a part of a network you know managing the relationship all that stuff here you get you're getting a paycheck from one company that's probably and you're getting it at a premium so it might solve like maybe the question is why hasn't Roxanne done a podcast before surely she's been asked surely she's thought about it she's too crafty not mm-hmm. to have thought about it um she's too interesting of a person not to have been approached why hadn't she before and then why now is it 
it was just the, the check was really good? Was it that she didn't want to deal with ads? You know, what problem was it solving for her? But competing with free is tough. And, mm-hmm. you know, because someone might counter, well, Netflix doesn't have ads. So, and they're doing well. Is it that Netflix doesn't have ads? Is that the reason for their success? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I think, I don't think, so I think it would have gotten in the way of their strategy. But, you know, Netflix exists and so does Hulu and so does HBO. And so, frankly, does cable television. So does YouTube, um, which are all video plays. So there's more of a diverse ecosystem there than people might think that there's a one winner take all anything about Netflix or whatever. Maybe this will be, maybe this is a premium thing for some people and they like the show. They just like it. Like they like the shows, they're willing to pay for it. I don't feel like it's going to radically alter the podcast landscape. You know, Luminary took a hundred million dollars in VC funding, which means you're making a play for a multi-billion dollar company, which means you got to get big. Like Gimlet sold mm-hmm. for 220 to Spotify and they were the biggest thing going in podcasts. And that's half of what Luminary took in investment money just to give you some sense of yeah. it. So they're looking to be huge, like Netflix level huge. And maybe they can be and exist alongside, but boy, competing with the, the beauty and elegance of an RSS feed where you search and overcast for the show you want and it's there and downloads for free automatically. Okay. So you're going to get three ads from us in the course of an hour and 10 minutes. Is it that much of a pain? I'd be, I'd be curious to know, like, if, if our show and some other shows you liked were on Luminary without ads, would you move over it? You're listening to it. This is a show you like. Um, is it without ads for things you already like enough? Or is it really you're just going there for the content? Because if you're just going there for the content, the whole rest of the internet is going to be competing for the bullet point yep. of having good content, right? That's kind of, I think, what you were saying before is like, mm-hmm. they're not going to be so much better at content than the rest of the free podcast ecosystem that you're going to move over there, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm fascinated. If Serial season, whatever they're on, was on this, I mean, This American Life was exclusively on Luminary, maybe? I, I have no idea. I really don't know. I don't know. All right. That's enough mm. of that. <laughs> boy, but, but I just don't want podcast. I don't want the RSS feed model to, to go away. I would, I would no, hate it if I Spotify would... and Luminary created these walled gardens where that's where you went for your episodic produced audio and this world that's kind of remarkable and has led to an amazing sort of Cambrian explosion in audio content got VC'd out of existence. That would be a terrible tragedy. Yeah. I'm kind of newly, well, in the last six months or so, like back on the podcast mm-hmm. train in a meaningful way. And I feel the same way. Like discovery is so interesting. There are so many options. It's really easy to dip in and out. Like mm-hmm. that's a thing to be said. Like I don't want to pay money to get behind a paywall to test whether I like mm. something or not, you know, whether I'm ready to commit. And this is one of the beauties of Netflix. Like there's a lot of exclusive content, but there are also tons of shows that were in syndication and now like Netflix has back access to them. So I'm getting the new Netflix originals and I can test those out. But also I know that like, there's just a ton on Netflix that I've already seen before. It's just like, I want to watch the devil wears Prada for the nine millionth time, you know? So that's where I'm going. There's, there is a lot of risk, I think in, uh, or a relative amount of risk in joining something like luminary where it's like, am I going to even like these things? And granted, of course you could always cancel, but that's annoying. And I don't want to, I don't want to commit if I don't know. Netflix's strategy, yeah, maybe this is what they meant, and those are smart people over there, so I wouldn't doubt it. But like the strategy of we're going to send you discs, and then some of the stuff you can stream, 
And some of the stuff you can stream is Netflix stuff. And why don't you try mm-hmm. Orange is the New Black and House of Cards and Mindhunter and Stranger Things. And suddenly it's just a place that you go for video. Like you don't, yeah. no one goes and to Netflix, I think now, for a property they're following from somewhere else. Like Netflix doesn't right. really and adapt. The, like, like they're not going to do Lord of the Rings. They just don't do stuff like that. Yeah, right. And the quality of the Netflix originals is just as good, if not better, than a lot of fresh yeah. live TV, right. you know? And I think that really matters. So anyway, anyway, lots of thoughts about podcasts that are only tangentially related Well, can I do books? one more thing? I, let me do one yeah, thing that's sure. kind of related. Not? What do we want to do? No, pick one more. Well, I, was, I have this thing that I've, if I actually wrote for the site anymore, I would make this into a post. Mm. Spotify. Okay. They, do, yeah. they do music. They actually have podcasts now. They, they, as I said, they just bought Gimlet. Why don't they have audiobooks? Should should spot if what is Spotify's business? What is Luminary's business? It's audio content. Like once they've gotten out of music into podcasts, why not mm-hmm. audiobooks too? Um, they look at Netflix. Like I was watching a documentary about Jews in Miami Beach the other night. It's documentaries. It's reality TV. It's kids. It's whatever. It's just so happened it's all video. If Spotify or Audible throw come in from the other way. It seems like we're going to these models where an audio subscription service or an audio platform is going to need to cover the waterfront of all kinds of content that you use, that you consume exclusively through your ears, right? Videos, eyes mm-hmm. and ears. Audio is just ears. I know you guys were wondering what the difference between audio and video was, <laughs> so I'm glad I explained that to everyone. Um, but why doesn't Spotify have audiobooks? Like, shouldn't Spotify have audiobooks? Like, wouldn't you know, it be cool? It feels like this is kind of a reader problem. I'm listening to something I've ever listened to. Do I want music? Do I want an audiobook? Do I want a podcast? And I go into Spotify and I can look for it there. I wonder about that. I have been wondering about this only for the last hour yeah. since you previewed to me that this was going to come up or that it might come up. And I think the answer is probably pretty boring. Publishing. In, in, well, publishing, but also how do you pay for it? Like the business model of Spotify, the sort of the licensing is a pay per play back to the um, license the holder, license holder, right, right, right. Back to the license holder, to the music studios, and then ultimately to the artist. So like I just listened to the new Lizzo album 900 times in a row this weekend and her um, studio is going to get money for those mm-hmm. 900 listens. How do you do and so, like you could figure it out. Someone could figure out how to do this for audiobooks, but like, is it per chapter? Is it per like every Wait, doesn't 10% script have audiobooks? Of a book? Script has audiobooks. Yeah, but they do the the credit model, right? So it's like well, you pay you a pay... subscription and you get some mm-hmm. credit and some. We just we just stumbled in with what you hate about script, right? It's like this weird like right. some there's some <laughs> that, that are lending and free and some aren't like, right. and whatever. Like, but you and could be right. Know, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we don't know how Scribd pays publishers no. for that, but I would guess that they pay some flat rate to hold the audiobook in their library and like that's just it. Or maybe for every time someone accesses the audiobook. And I guess mm-hmm. that you that Spotify could do the same thing, but given that you can listen to like you know, listening to a song or not is pretty cut and dry, like, you know, most songs, three minutes mm-hmm. or less. Like is it if you listen to even one minute of an audiobook, the publisher gets paid for whatever the licensing fee is for the whole book, or is it by chapter, or is it by percentage of the book that you've read? Like, obviously, as I said, somebody could figure out how to do that, but I would guess that like publishing 
would be resistant to it and that it might just be complicated. Mm. Like that's my, that is my genuine guess about why this doesn't exist on Spotify. And also that it just feels like there are categorical differences between an audiobook experience and a podcast or listen to an album experience. And I don't think that there should be, cause I'm with yeah. you that content I put into my ears is content. I put into my ears when I get in the car, the choices, am I listening to music or an audiobook or a podcast and having all of those things in one place would make a lot of sense. But I would guess that it's just messy. Yeah. And maybe that's right. And, and then maybe Spotify does the thing audible is done and this can segue into whatever and they get some originals. Just go get stuff. Yeah. Don't, mm-hmm. don't worry about publishing. Um, skip, well, go around, go like, do the end around. Like they they yeah. they can create. Like Netflix can make a Mindhunter by itself. Spotify can't get someone to narrate an audiobook. I just mm-hmm. don't believe that. For yeah, a second. and it, that's interesting because Spotify doesn't produce original content. You know, they yeah. make they curate playlists, but those are playlists. Well, that's why they buy Gimlet, music. I guess, right, Rebecca? Like that's right. kind of, they that's noticed true. they had that gap yeah. in it. Yeah, they have playlists that other people of other people's music. They're they offer a bunch of podcasts. Like they just syndicate a bunch of podcasts. Mm-hmm. But there's no like here is an exclusive album from Spotify artist whoever. No, but know? they do have those live albums which are Spotify exclusive which are interesting. That's I true. guess yeah. if we go back to the job that you're being hired for, like Netflix is really simple. What do I I'm going to I want what am I going to watch right now? And it, they have music performances and the whole anything that you really could watch. They're going to have something on there. I guess outside of live sports. Um, mm-hmm. and it sounds like, it feels to me like the same question is what you're hiring Spotify to do. If you open the app could be, what do I want to listen to? And anything that someone might want to listen to should be on Spotify. And as we've seen, audio, audiobooks are a huge and growing, um, category. And that would, that would be a way to challenge Audible's dominance, I think, because, you and I both have Spotify. We know a lot mm-hmm. of people that have Spotify. And if we were doing our, um, you got to pick two to save for content subscriptions, I think I'm down to Netflix and Spotify if it came right down to it for myself. Oh, so yeah. if you're going to do that, then you know people will find will use your app to find stuff and you have a, the chance to surface things to people. Whereas the Audible app on a phone, because of all the reasons we talked about, you can't buy your Audible book through your Apple phone app because of crazy reasons that mm-hmm. make everyone furious. And you have to pay on a per credit basis for it. If included in my $9 a month or whatever, or I guess we do the family one, so it's more than that, was here's the 50 audiobooks you can listen to for free. And I can listen to as many, um, uh, many, uh, as many Tony Bennett albums as I want, just like, and I'll do the same for audiobooks. Like that could, that, that feels to me like it could be a real, change in the way people consume audiobook content because we're really outside of script and even script has to do as you said that credit system we're still stuck in this checker on a checker audiobook business which it feels like every other part of the the digital streaming world has moved away from that like that's the last one which is so Mm -hmm. strange and it feels like something that just won't make sense on an infinite time scale that will not be the case i guess that's what i bet i don't know when but on infinite mm-hmm. time scale, no, it's I not going to, it's not going to be, we're not in 22 years. We're not going to be paying them audible a 1395 a month for one credit for an audio, but I just don't see that happening at all. Uh, anyway, I guess I had more in the tank about that too. <laughs> it was a slow news week. So we, well, you of, said we don't have too much stuff and things. you're like, okay, yeah. put stuff in. It's so like, I've had these in my back pocket and they just blew up all over the show. Um, let's do, we'll do, a, we'll do potpourri quick hitters of news stories after the, our last sponsor of the week's Bombus. Yes. Look. Socks are great. They just, they just are. Like, what, what's the least controversial thing you can say is that socks are great? 
Socks are great. How often do you think about them, though? Not much. Something that you don't think about much, but that is great, that is where someone should step in and say, we need to find a way for get people better socks on their feet. And they're called Bombas, B-O-M-B-A-S. You're wearing Bombas socks right now. I was wearing them yesterday. At this very moment. I wore them Mm -hmm. yesterday. The only reason I'm not wearing them today is they're all dirty because I wear them first thing. They're first off the sock pile. You know, you have your socks that when all your laundry's done, there's some socks you pick first. And the hierarchy of socks is real. real. Bombas will be the first ones you pick out. They, They just will. They're the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. The greatest story ever told, as I've once said. They're made from super soft, natural cotton, and every pair comes with arch support, a seamless toe, and a cushioned footbed that's comfy, but not too thick. Colors, patterns, lengths, styles, they look great in the gym, at the office, out on the town. Any place you take your feet, Bombas has a sock to go on your feet when you go to that place. They're what feet daydream about. They're your favorite sweatshirt, but for your feet. Best of all, for every Bombas purchase you make, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. Buy your Bombas at bombas.com slash bookwrite today and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash bookwrite for 20% off. You'll still get 10 toes worth of socks. You'll just pay eight toes worth um, for your first order at bombas.com slash bookwrite. All right. Where do you want to go? The sixth well, year well, you know, of James Patterson doing a thing? Is that, I mean... Yeah. Let's just, we can just did, note, note because it, yeah. James Patterson is bringing back the holiday bookstore bonus program. Um, he's pledged, again this year, $250,000, as he did last year, um, to, as ho- to give as holiday bonuses to independent bookstore booksellers from the American Booksellers Association, um, which distributes the funds, the scholarship not scholarships the bonuses are awarded in denominations of five hundred dollars to five hundred indie booksellers a hundred of those will go specifically to children's booksellers and the nominations are open through september 30th Um, applicants or nominators must answer a single question why does this bookseller deserve a holiday bonus. Um, you Patterson then personally selects the winners himself. Um, and if a bookseller that you love has won in the past, they can win again. All previous recipients of the grant are still are eligible once again, and booksellers can self-nominate. So booksellers, we know you're listening to, you deserve a bonus. Yes. Nominate yourself. And if you love an indie bookseller, you can nominate them through September 30th. And there's info in the show notes. Um, the last time this came out, it doesn't feel like it was a year ago already. We asked people if they knew people who had won these and we got lots of responses. Like this is not a, you know, some guy out in Walla Walla, Washington mm-hmm. won the lottery, right? This is, you know, if there's a good chance you're going to get one of these, if if you apply, I don't know what good chance is, but it's better than winning the, you know, 500 is a lot of people. It's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And there aren't that, I mean, there's a lot of bookstores and there's a lot of booksellers, but it's a relatively small sample set that you're going to get plucked out of. So please go apply. Um, you don't even owe us anything if you won. Keep it all. No finder's fee for you. That's that's graciousness right there. That's what they call that. <laughs> Good luck to uh, you. Let's do, bro- speaking of, on, you know, the Department of Ongoing Stories, Barack Obama's reading list. Um, let's see, three picks, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is The Moment of Lift by Melinda Gates. Uh, Melinda Gates, one half of the Gates Foundation, tells the stories of the inspiring people she's met through her work all over the world through the Gates Foundation, which is an amazing foundation, I should say. 
Um, so he's picking that. W.S. Merwin's The Shadow of Sirius, a poet um, mm-hmm. who died recently. Uh, so maybe that passing inspired um, the former president to pick up that. And then uh, Pachink- Pachinko by Minjin Lee, which is um, now, is that a backlist title at this point? I guess. It's, yeah, it's come out it's in paperback. paperback. Mm-hmm. Um, but people, people love this book. I've several times when I've, I've met new people and they ask me what I do and I say, I do weird internet stuff around books. They'll tell me, of <laughs> course, what books they like of late, yep. which I always enjoy. And this one comes up often. People mention this <gasps> civilians out there in the world who like books, but they're not like listen to book podcasts mm-hmm. are picking this up. So, um, anyway, a pretty interesting set and it has, it has that Obama thing on it. We've talked about with these lists before. Like this mm-hmm. feels like a list of three books Obama will have picked, um, which is not a, it's not a slight. I don't want it to come off as a slight, but it's just like, no. it is of a piece with the other book recommendations that I don't know what, I guess it would be, I know it when I see it thing when it's like, wow, this is really off the chart for Obama, but these aren't. Oh, I, what would be, that's a fun straight up romance, experiment. like a straight up, yeah. you know, Harlequin graphic novel like oh. a contemporary gritty graphic novel type thing Ooh. yeah there's a new annotated version of watchmen that i've oh, been hearing yeah. great things about and i want to know that barack obama is like chilling on a Friday like a ya night. novel middle grade novel I, you know I, mm-hmm. I don't think that's further afield just that's i guess these are mainstream things that would feel uh, yeah this feels I think you're right. This feels of a piece. These lists always feel totally believable mm-hmm. to who he is as like a serious guy. Right. Like this is a serious person who takes the world seriously and is intellectual and interested, trying to learn. Yeah. yeah, interested in the world, trying to be continually challenged. I can't help but read some pointedness into it that maybe is intentional and maybe mm. isn't. But like his write up of the moment of lift by Melinda Gates starts when you lift up women, you lift up everybody like this is a message that we need in the world right now. The W.S. Merwin part talks about that poems can inspire and instruct and that we um, connect with the natural world. And that's something that we all need more of. And Pachinko is this big sort of cross-cultural family story. Mm. And it's, yeah, I think these are the kinds of books that Barack Obama has always read and has always talked about, at least in the years that we've gotten to see him talking about books. But it feels extra meaningful now to be looking at somebody who is interested in the world and engaging with big ideas and and writing about them. There's a little more meat on the bones of the explanations. There is. Maybe because books. only three, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, this time around, because sometimes we're like, you know, Barack, one a sentence a, about a safe pick is not so mm. interesting. Like, he's still not taking any risks with the books that he's putting out publicly. This is the thing that I've decided I want, like, in the in decades from now, when we're doing, like, posthumous B- Barack Obama discoveries, is like, what did he read and love that we yeah. didn't get to know about? No, we've said <laughs> like, before, is- the whole thing, how did the sentences get made that appear next to these recommendations? <laughs> He might have written them. He also may have yeah. like said to someone else, "Here's my thoughts," and they 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 mm-hmm. you know they they ginned them up, and all of it's possible. Yeah, the the great annotated episode I'll never get to do is um, how I read <laughs> what I read with Bill Gates and Barack Obama, where we talk about weird oh. holiday recommendation videos, and then like how these Obama <laughs> Facebook posts come into the world. Like, who are the midwives yeah. that birth these things? Like, I don't understand how I- this happens. I was thinking about that bonkers Bill Gates video the other day. I have no idea why I was thinking of it, but like, I'm so happy now that we're only I, a little more than six well, months away from whatever I the next one is going to be. Well, the wall calendar I keep here until the next Gates video says we're getting closer. 
Yeah. Actually, I didn't peel off today's. Uh, yeah. Let me peel off the. Okay, I peeled it off. It's there. <laughs> all right, good. Now we're, um, we're all up let's, to speed. Let's end it here because it's related to so many of the things we're talking about. Celebrity recommendations, uh, audio books, mm-hmm. production things. Um, I, all I know is if I was in a business space and Reese Witherspoon was also in that business space, I would not want to continue to be in that. I think she she is <laughs> she is so smart, smart, man. Like continues to be really, really um, incisive and cagey. Cagey's just just smart about her place in the world, especially when it comes to storytelling and new media. And this one is just another another notch in the belt of Reese Witherspoon sort of understanding what the heck is going on. The headline here is Audible sets first originals from Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine. Hello Sunshine is her production company. And she is signed, or the company is signed, I should say, Hello Sunshine, a deal with Audible to to produce three audio memoirs that they're co-producing exclusively with the Audible, for the Audible platform. So if you have Audible membership, you'll get to, you'll, I guess you'll be able to use your credit on this. I don't, it doesn't sound like it's going to be you know, included in your thing, but three memoirs by three women who are super interesting. Um, the Baddest Bitch in the Room, by, written and performed by Sophia Chang. She's the da- daughter of Korean immigrants and she's a comedian. Magnificent Things, written and performed by Judge Rosemary Aquilina. Um, her, you know, her story of becoming a judge. Um, and also like she presided over the Nasser trial, the Larry Nasser mm-hmm. trial and just the super ju- interesting the woman, right? Um, and then limping on the edge by Maysoon Zaid, a Muslim comedian with cerebral palsy. I mean, I'll listen to all of these. These are all fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I think Reese Witherspoon just Yes. And she gets it in a way that like the thing she's trying to do is tell, like give voice to interesting stories, provide a platform for interesting stories by women that like this is her priority Mm -hmm. um, that either aren't being told or would have a harder time getting told in other places in not just Hollywood, but also in publishing, just in the world in general. And so she hasn't limited herself to one medium she produces movies she does tv shows she is she features books by all kinds of people in the hello sunshine like reese's book club that's bonkers on instagram Mm -hmm. and i recently saw a book somewhere when i was shopping that had a reese's book club sticker on it or like a hello sunshine book club sticker on it they're doing that now it's recognizable enough and she was like why not do audiobooks too i will not be surprised if reese witherspoon starts producing a podcast like too small small potato i don't maybe not Maybe but, podcasts well, are maybe, big. Podcasts maybe, are big. But like, yeah. yeah, they can be big. She gets it in a way that like her goal is to get women's voices out there and that there are a lot of ways to do that. This is so much more interesting than just Reese Witherspoon's movie production company. She's like, I produce all kinds of yeah. things and very smart of Audible to to get in there. I'm going to listen to all of If these I were Spotify, I'd be, well. I'd be going, oh, dang it. I should have signed this deal. <laughs> like just to bring it all back around, mm-hmm. like- yeah, sign the deal. Whatever the deal is, they got give it to her. Um, if I'm publishing, I look at someone like Reese Witherspoon and wonder about like, huh? Are we getting outflanked you know, here? Are, 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 isn't you know, this like, what we should be doing? Like, she doesn't have an imprint. Very, she didn't do that way. Right. This is a whole different thing. Yeah, very. I was going to say very notably, she hasn't done yeah. the thing where she signs with an imprint to put you know to like to put her name on books that. Mm-hmm she likes and we haven't we haven't seen that work well yet you know like the echo has an anthony bourdain and yeah and echo has the anthony bourdain imprint i just got a copy of the vegetables cookbook by jose andres which looks beautiful and has like the bourdain stamp 
on it, but you're buying that because it's a vegetables cookbook and you want that mm. vegetables cookbook or because you like Jose Andres. The imprint that Sarah Jessica Parker is running at, I can't remember which publishing house, doesn't have her name on it. It has a, like the imprint just has its, its own Park imprint Row. name. Was it Park Row? Maybe I'm Flatiron? Maybe oh, Flatiron? I don't know. I can't remember. Um, but like, it doesn't say Sarah Jessica Parker books. So unless you're as deep into books as we are, you don't know that she's the one who picked that book and wanted to bring Mm. it to life. Um, like she's still doing the work, but she's not able to trade on her name in that way. Like Reese Witherspoon, I think could do like, she could curate an imprint. She's got taste and certainly Mm. access to people who want to tell their stories. But I do think it's interesting that that's not a thing we're seeing from her yet. Yeah. And, and, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like if uh, bringing bring it back around to the success can hide problems thing, it's like if you're creating a new media company from scratch, this is the kind of thing you do. If you're um, FSG, this isn't on your radar to produce right. a, a niche audio only or audio first or audio exclusive memoirs. I mean, the other thing it sounds like here is that these are these books are chosen because the performance itself will be interesting. These aren't just mm-hmm. audiobook versions of a book. It doesn't even look like there's going to be print books. They don't, maybe there will be in the fullness of time, which is something I don't love, frankly, that you know, there's not, for a variety of reasons, accessibility being not least among them. Um, but these are first-person narratives. The thing that audiobooks are especially good at when it comes to, when you think of them as audiobooks is the performance, the warmth, the mm-hmm. intimacy that is engendered by having the person telling, you know, reading their memoir to you. You just get stuff you're never going to get anybody else, anywhere else. And probably the one place where, in terms of content, audiobooks are superior to print books because it just gives you that metadata about the delivery and performance that you don't get from print. Um, and it's not a surprise that audio first. It's If this, if this was uh, Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine signs a deal with Macmillan to produce three. We're not interested. I mean, it's okay. These are all interesting books, but this is just way more interesting to think about it this way. Yeah, I think so. Late 2019, early 2020. Good job, Reese Witherspoon. We kind of intertwined a bunch of related rants um, in there. As always, you can find show notes to this and all episodes of the Book Riot podcast at podcast.com slash book riot. Some questions. (laughs) Bookriot.com slash podcast. Podcast slash riot slash podcast.riot.com. Podcastriot.com. Podcastriot.books. Um, <laughs> podcast at bookriot.com is there email <laughs> you can find show notes at bookriot, bookriot.com slash listen uh, we wanted to know oh is there any is there an author or person Reese, was Reese Witherspoon's book podcast was on Luminary do you move over there or reader? did you join Luminary because you love Roxanne yeah, Gay right. like it doesn't even have to be hypothetical did, did you, you do, do it? it also I'd love to know like you get to pick two subscriptions what do you keep um, do you do Patreons to any pod? Like anything, I'd love to know anything about what other people are doing around this new media stuff, uh, especially you, those of you out there who are, you know, obviously um, charming, uh, sophisticated, with excellent taste listening to this show. I'd uh, love to hear what you've got for us. Uh, Rebecca will be back this week. We'll be back again. Yeah, have a good one. All right.